Well, it's been a, a great pleasure and an honor for us to start reading our books. The first book is called The Booth, and it's all about having a quiet time in the presence of God every day. So many people I am meeting are in a state of stress, anxiety, even depression. This book in just everyday language will show you exactly how the Lord wants us to live. So I pray that this will bless you. We're doing it for no other reason, just so that you will get closer to Jesus Christ as your friend. The Spice of Life. They say that variety is the spice of life. I think this is especially true when having your time in the presence of God. One doesn't have to go through the same routine every day. You can read a Christian book if you have a few hours spare. You could watch a good Christian movie to broaden your outlook. Reading a good Christian magazine will also feed your spirit. Christianity is not an organization or a club like any secular group. Christianity is a way of life. And the more we understand that, the longer and the more fruitful our walk with Jesus will be. This walk that I am talking about and of having quiet time with God is not a once-off or a seasonal thing. It is something you need to do until the day you go home to be with Him, where you will have a permanent quiet time with the Lord in heaven. It is so important to have other interests in life as a believer. For me, one of the greatest pastimes or therapies I have is to go horse riding on the farm. I also enjoy assisting my sons as much as I can and just observing the wonderful things that they are doing, taking the whole farming operation to the next level. That actually brings me more joy and relaxation than anything else. Me time. I have to be careful because after I have been away on a preaching tour, my wife likes to go out a bit and to do things together. But for me, I'm just as happy to stay at home, ride my horse, look at the cattle, observe the developments on the farm, and just to be away from people and in the presence of God. That is what refreshes me and gives me hope. Sometimes it becomes hard for me when I've been away from home for a while, sleeping in a strange bed, eating foreign food, and mingling with different people. There is nothing wrong with that because it's my life. People are my life, and God has given me a heart for the lost and those who are hurting and distressed. But there is a time when I overdo it. Then I become dull and I am there, but not there. It's at times like this that me time is so important. I come home, I get on my horse, I go out into the fields, I speak to the Lord in raw nature, as it were. Only today I have observed a cow giving birth to her calf. It's calving time on the farm right now, and to see young calves and heavily pregnant mothers getting ready to calf is wonderful. 
It is a wonderful experience to witness the birth of new life. It revitalizes me and reminds me of the basics of life. Sometimes, my dear friend, we can become so spiritual that we are of no earthly consequence. We need to keep the balance. And if we do that, we will never become dull or uninteresting and will continue to be a joy to people who are looking for hope and for a reason to live. Just quoting scripture is actually not enough. People have got to see a difference in your life. For some people, you will be the only scripture that they ever read. If you are constantly tired and negative about everything in life, have no interest and are boring to listen to, you have no chance of leading that person to Christ. But if you are full of vitality and can speak about practical, true-to-life issues, then you will be real to them. And if there is anything people are looking for in this day and age, it is realism. Once they see there is something totally different about you and they want what you have got, then it is just a formality when it comes to leading them to Christ. Of course, the next step is to teach them how to have fellowship on a daily basis with King Jesus. Chapter 3, Time in God's Presence. The more time we spend in the presence of God, the easier it becomes to hear His still, small voice speaking to us. People have often approached me and asked me how they can hear from God. How does He speak to me, they want to know. Where do I get all the messages for our TV programs, magazine articles, and books? Well, the answer is quite simple by spending time with Jesus every day. I've never heard the voice of the Master audibly and do not believe that many people have and then lived to tell the tale. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had to wear a veil over his face. People could not look at him, for he had been in the presence of the very creator of the universe. And to boot, the Lord had only allowed Moses to see his back as he passed by. What an incredibly powerful creator we are talking about here. Father God was concerned that if he saw him face to face, Moses would die. That is why when God passed by, he hid Moses in the cleft of a rock. Exodus chapter 33 and verses 18 through to 23. I must be honest, I fear greatly for Christians who speak about the Lord with disrespect, calling him the man upstairs or my buddy. They obviously have no idea who they are speaking about. Orthodox Jews regard his name as so holy that they do not even write it down. They have the utmost reverence for Father God. Consequences of poor hearing. How does God speak to his people in this day and age? 
and give them instructions. Well, first and foremost, when you come into His presence to have your quiet time, you must spend a while quieting your soul in meditation and getting rid of all earthly distractions. Unless you are fully 100% focused on what He has to say, the Father will definitely not give you life-changing instructions, which could have an eternal effect on your future and that of your family. Simply put, it could even be dangerous because if you don't hear Him clearly, it could ruin your life forever. You may not hear clearly from God because you are distracted in a rush and thinking about the day's work ahead. You may, for example, mistakenly think that the Lord has told you to sell up, to leave your job, take your young family and move to New Zealand. You scrape all your money together and buy a one-way ticket for all of you thinking that you're following God's instructions. You leave only to realize once you have arrived that it wasn't God's will for you at all. You should, in fact, never have left home. I happen to love New Zealand. We had an amazing campaign there some years back. But I distinctly remember meeting people who had immigrated there from South Africa thinking they were obeying God's instructions. They were very disappointed, to put it mildly. Some actually devastated. They didn't have the money to come back home and so have to remain there. Now, this has got nothing to do with their salvation, but it means that they have to live with the consequences of their actions. A more drastic example would be a young person who makes a decision to get married, thinking he or she has heard from God. But because they are not sitting at his feet, listening to him, they are distracted, caught by the love at first sight syndrome. They make a fundamentally poor choice, like marrying an unbeliever, thinking that once they are married, they will win over their spouse for God, which hardly happens. They find themselves in a very hard place, not something that God cannot sort out because nothing is too hard for him, but stuck in a situation that will cause a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering. This could have been avoided totally by just listening to that quiet voice saying, this is the way. We need to always remember that God is never, ever in a rush. He is not subject to time like we are. He created time. In fact, He is time. So when we come to have that special time with Him, preferably early in the morning, don't rush God or else He will not be part of it at all. This rushing around and busyness is not of the Lord. You know the saying, Jesus is never early, He is never late, He is always right on time. If we start to live the way the Master meant for us to live, there would be far fewer stress-related illnesses, 
like stomach ulcers, nervous breakdowns, depression, and so forth. Three cups of tea. I was given a lovely little book from my daughter, Robin, called Three Cups of Tea. In it, the author relates the story of a well-known mountaineer who was attempting to summit one of the most treacherous mountains in the Himalayas. The mountaineer helped a friend who got into trouble during the ascent and had to bring him down from very near the top of the infamous mountain called K2. Once his friend was safe, he was too ill to return and attempt a summit. He was so weak that he lost his way through sheer exhaustion and cold and wandered into a little village where some of the poorest people in the world live. The area was in the northernmost part of Pakistan, and the villagers took in the dying young mountaineer. They cared for him, giving all they had, and eventually he recovered. He was so grateful for their love and care that he vowed to come back and build them a school, which he subsequently did. In nursing him back to health, these so-called primitive tribesmen taught the educated young man from the West a very serious lesson. You see, he was working his heart out trying to build the school in double quick time and working the builders at a tremendous pace as well. He felt that he had obligations to the donors who had given the money for the school. He was marching around with a spirit level and a plumb line chasing everyone around. The village elder asked the young man to go for a walk with him. He took the mountaineer away from the building site to the top of an adjoining mountain and then told him to sit down and be quiet. He asked the young man to look at the mountains reminding him that they'd been there for thousands of years, and so he said, have we. He told the young man, we might be uneducated, but we are not stupid. He told the youngster he was driving them crazy. The village elder then took the young man to his home and asked his elderly wife to make them some tea. When the tea arrived, he said to the young man that they really appreciated what he was doing for their children, but that the villagers themselves were more important than a school. He then proceeded to pour the tea, telling the young man that traditionally they drink three cups of tea. The first cup is given to a stranger, the second is shared with someone who is a friend, and the third when someone joins the family. And for the family, he said, the villagers would do anything, even die. Lessons from Mary and Martha. As I read that beautiful story, I thought immediately of Mary and Martha. When Jesus came to visit them, at their home in Bethany. Can you imagine the Son of God visiting you in your home? Well, Martha wanted everything to be just right for the Lord Jesus. So she was tearing around the place, 
while her sister Mary was sitting quietly at Jesus' feet, listening to the Son of God speak about things that no one had heard of before. Martha, if you remember, complained to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. The master replied, saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Luke chapter 10 and verses 41 and 42. He could see that Martha was distracted and bothered about many things. If we are going to get direction from God, instruction, and godly counsel, then we are really going to have to wait upon Him. He won't fail us. He will give us the advice we need, no matter how big or how small the issue may be. We will never hear consistently from God or anyone else for that matter if we only have five or ten minutes to spend with Him each day. The danger of distraction. The biggest deterrent to having good, wholesome, quiet times with Jesus is distraction. Please take to heart what I am saying, because as Zig Ziglar said, the greatest enemy of excellence is good. The distractions from having those precious God moments with Jesus are not necessarily sinful things. They are often good things, like a person coming to you with a problem needing prayer. Now, any God-fearing Christian will tell you that you should help them immediately. But that is not what our Savior did. When Lazarus was sick and his two sisters sent an urgent message to the Lord, did Jesus go straight away? The answer is a definite no. In fact, he only arrived four days after Lazarus had been laid in the tomb. As we know, Jesus proceeded to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was never distracted by anyone or anything. He only responded to his heavenly father. That is why his life was so effective and why Jesus changed the world forever. In a short ministry that spanned a mere three years, if we dared to implement these godly principles in our own lives, I firmly believe we shall be used by God to move mountains for Him. After all, didn't the Master say that you and I would perform miracles even greater than those of Jesus if we would only believe? However, this only happens with concerted effort through much prayer and fasting and by spending time in His presence. Believers require extreme discipline, particularly at the beginning of their new walk of faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Booth. 